0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalist. We are in the middle of our Monster Bash Fright Fest October. This is Adam Chambalewski with me is the one and only Matthew Pagel. How are we doing today, bro?
1: Dude, I'm doing good. I am fucking pumped to keep this Fright Fest rolling. Really fucking pumped to talk today about, about the movie that we're taking on.
0: Yeah, I am excited. And the movie we are going to be discussing is the 1986 body horror sci-fi masterpiece by the one and only David Cronenberg called The Fly. And I, yeah, I got to tell you, dude, I'm very excited. I was listening to like a lot of podcasts and everything, trying to, you know, get some more info get you know, just to kind of get some more talking points for the episode and everything. And like, people have looked at this movie like scholars would look at string theory or something like that. I mean, it, I've heard, listen to a lot of really great conversation about it and we're going to have some really great conversation for you out there and uh, hope you're all enjoying this fright fest monster mash as much as we are. So before we get into the heart of the conversation, I do want to do a quick follow up from last week's episode and let you know really briefly that I watched Guillermo del Toro's mimic and I fucking loved it. I got to tell you, dude, I, I loved it a lot. And the monster work was great. Mm-hmm. Like, And one of the things that I noticed about the movie and that I took away from it was that Del Toro was bound for greatness, like even back then. And for a movie that which is basically about these super advanced bugs learning how to mimic humans and like a plot to take over the plot to take over the world you really got wrapped up with the characters the love story element of it Mm -hmm. the, the chewy the kid who was the mimic and everything i mean just what a really great example of early guillermo del toro that just showed a fuck ton of potential so when he is as big as he is now it is 100%, I completely believe it, and I 100% think that it is earned, because, my God, that was, that that's, that's a pretty good movie, and it showed, I thought, some really great evolution in, um, at least, like, for me, you know, being able to, to watch it as part of, you know, like, what I've seen of Guillermo's f- filmography, but it just really showed, like, a, a great evolution of his, um, of his skills, you know, from that work until the present.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. So, um, two things with this. Um did you watch the director's cut or the original Weinstein cut?
0: Okay. I watched what is on HBO Max, so I'm assuming it's the original the Weinstein cut.
1: Okay. Um watch the director's cut. It's the one that he put together probably in like two thousand seven or maybe a little bit later than that. Like that's this is this is like on the list of movies that like is you know, people always talk about the Weinstein's ruining. Um, mm-hmm. For all of and we are ignoring the Weinstein's outside of the movie industry. Um, right. Just purely talking about their sort of production prowess, and I mean, like, there—that is not a joke when um, when people say that Harvey Weinstein has been thanked more often than God at the Academy Awards. It's not a joke. That's a real thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> Harvey Weinstein knows how to make a fucking movie, um, but this is amongst those movies that like they're, he and his brother are attributed to ruining Um, Mm -hmm. that there was a much more that the original had a much bleaker ending and it's more in line with the story. Um, Like there's no, you know, there's no experimentation. It's not like a medical issue that causes like, it's just these bugs just, you know, advancing themselves basically. And like the original story and what Del Toro wanted to do was that like, sure. They sort of defeat, what they think is, like, this, you know, upri- uprising, but it's already, like, way too late. They're already everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. the ending is extraordinarily bleak, and obviously he didn't get to do it in his cut, but it is much more in line with, like, there, it's a much bleaker story um, that he tells in his version of it. So, um, worth checking out. If I mean, probably just look it up, you know, to see which mm-hmm. one's on HBO Max. I'm sure you could find the differences. But also, um, so Mimic is his first Hollywood studio movie, but yeah. if you want to see, like, the movie that puts him on the map, period, uh, Kronos from 1993 is fantastic. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, good to know. Um, it's, uh, it's some Spanish, but, like, Ron Perlman's in it. Um, so I mean, there's plenty of English in it. Um, yeah. But that's the movie that puts him on the map. It's
0: fucking fantastic. Ron Perlman in a Guillermo del Toro movie? You've got to be kidding me. We've never worked together. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's good to know, dude, because, like, number one, all about watching more uh, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro movies, and number two, about the bleak ending. Yeah, you know something? Like, I will say that that ending felt a little too... Interjectedly happy i guess mm-hmm. you know like and i thought you like you feel it like you, that hug that Mira sorvino gives her her uh, boyfriend lover in the movie you you could feel that with especially with the music and stuff but knowing like what just like what i know about guillermo del toro and the kind of projects that he does it would feel like he would opt to go maybe more in line with how he did The Strain, where The Strain does have a couple of bleak season endings, you know, that are very similar to how Mimic would have turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: ex- exactly, exactly. There's, you know, not that, not that, like, everyone dies or something, but just, like, the, the victory isn't quite the victory that they think it is.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And in keeping with our theme of... Insect, uh, I guess, insect-centric. Good segue. Good segue. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah, so now we'll get into The Fly, which is uh, 1986, uh, directed by David Cronenberg. And um, the movie... Itself originated as a short story that was published in the 1957 issue of Playboy by a French author named Georges Lengelon, who has mm-hmm. done other like kind of horror sci-fi works and everything. And then in 1957, the story gets published. Then in 1958, um, production starts up on the original Fly movie, which starred none other than Vincent Price. And there is a really sort of okay misfit song called Return of the Fly and where they read Vincent Hutt, Vincent Price and the, the movie and stuff like that. Just a helpful little horror core tip to add to this discussion. And then, um, you know, sometime in the 80s, they get ready to um, remake this movie where they hire a screenwriter named Charles Edward Pogue. He ends up kind of landing the deal. There's this producer involved named Stuart Kornfeld. and then Kornfeld gets in touch with, of all people, Mel Fucking Brooks to make this movie. Like out of nowhere, Mel it's Brooks. So comes funny, into isn't porn. it? It is fucking such an interesting piece of uh, cinema trivia there, and like you know, his company Brooks um, Brooks Films. This guy Corn. Feld was a frequent collaborator on. They were also friends and they actually produced David Lynch's, the elephant man, which was a movie that also came out in the eighties. And, um, I saw like a trailer from it online sometime in the last couple of years. And it's just like, my God, movies, trailers in the eighties were just a whole different category of their own, which, Mm -hmm. um, as this particular trailer I thought was really, really good. And so, um, this guy charles edward pogue he's hired on to do a draft of the script you know mel brooks um like doesn't you know he kind of wants like somebody else to kind of take on the project and everything they get a hold of david cronenberg who actually couldn't do it at the time because he was working on total recall believe it or not when this uh project was originally pitched to him and he wanted to do it, but if only he could rewrite the script he's working on total recall. And I also heard via this one podcast that like Cronenberg was involved, like in top gun at one point in time. Yeah. Like
1: he's um, at that point in time or at that point in time, he would have been, uh, he was buddies with um, another big producer, Dino De Laurentiis. Um, oh yes. Yes. And Dino De Laurentiis in the eighties had his hands in fucking everything. Um, so not, not shocking that Cronenberg would have popped up for various things, including Total Recall, um, you know, before, you know, a few Mm -hmm. years before it ends up getting made. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I'm simultaneously very intrigued by what a Cronenberg Total Recall would have looked like. Probably significantly more like the story, (laughs) do androids dream of electric street, electric sheep? Um, uh,
0: We can remember for you wholesale. Or yeah, sorry. We can
1: remember for you wholesale.
0: Um,
1: probably significantly more like the story. And at the same time, I'm kind of glad that he did not do Total Recall.
0: Yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah, Total Recall is a fucking classic, and I we could definitely agree that there would still be a woman with three boobs. If Cronenberg did it, it might be five boobs, but there would definitely be a woman with more than two, uh, two boobs in the, in the movie for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So like um, eventually like the, you know, in production, it kind of gets back around to him. He rewrites the script. We'll get into some of the differences I'm sure throughout the course of the episode and the rest as we know, it is history. So, um, you know, Prior to this most recent viewing of The Fly, how long had it been since you watched it? Pre- since you watched it, and um, was there anything that surprised you about it during your most recent viewing of it? compared you know, just if you hadn't watched it in a while.
1: You know, um, I really can't pinpoint. I'd, I'd, I'd say over five years since mm-hmm. I lost last saw it. I, I truly can't pinpoint it, but let's let's say over five years, but less than a decade since the last time yeah. I saw it. Um, and and I've seen plenty of of clips and things in between you know in between five years ago and now, um, but nothing nothing really surprised me. I'll, I'll say like that. Even upon this rewatch, it basically goes as I remember. I just I, I guess I just kind of forgot how much John Getz is in this movie, and gotcha. I I also kind of forgot like how. Um I guess because um and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth a little bit later at some point I guess like I kind of forget that at this point in time Gina Davis was not Gina Davis at all. Yeah, and that's right. And sort of kind of seeing early Gina Davis at work was was interesting because she really hadn't developed. She was not a movie star yet at this point. And
0: and right. like you we- can
1: just kind of see it.
0: Yeah. Oh, dude, I totally hear you on that one for sure. Like this was a couple of years before her big, you know, the Beetlejuice and everything like that, where I think she kind of more evolves into a household name and sort of been close to a decade before a league of their own. Mm -hmm. So like she wasn't like a super mega star yet, you know, and um, it was really cool to kind of see her and both John gets going back um, this far and John gets with the beard. Like when I looked at him, I was like, is that the same guy from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's mm-hmm. Dead? You know, just playing basically the same the same dude <laughs> to a certain degree between those two movies. Yeah, like, um, no, I totally hear you. John Getz was, um, it was definitely a surprise to me how much he was in this movie upon the most recent rewatch of it. Um, I will actually say that um, one of the things that had surprised me the most was, like, I guess how much outside of, the, Jeff Goldblum's warehouse and telepods this movie kind of takes place in like the whole second act about, um, you know, because he becomes the fly monster, I would say at the 30 or so minutes into the movie and the, the opening credits is about three minutes long. So you're mm-hmm. looking at 33 minutes or so into the movie and um he is out of the telepod and everything. And then, like the second act, I had just completely forgotten about him going to the bar, the arm wrestling stuff, the other woman. Some of the things that we saw in the second act like, kind of escaped me um, just in my mind and everything in the amount of time it had been since I watched mm-hmm. this movie, this viewing compared to the last one, which I will tell you, I'm probably over a decade. I'm probably somewhere in college, maybe pushing close to 15, 20 years from watching the movie. So this was in many ways kind of going into it like brand spanking new and like for the most part, I've seen a lot of clips and imagery from either the beginning of the movie or the end of the movie. So the, what happens in the middle was like almost like brand spanking new to me and stuff. And I was surprised about a lot of different things um, all in a good way and stuff. And I'm just going to save some of the specifics for uh, as the conversation progresses. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I really like, I, I absolutely fucking love this. So, I'm um, like the list of like out of David Cronenberg's filmography for you personally. Like, where and you don't have to give me like specific rankings or whatever, but like, where do you put The, the Fly um, for you personally in your like kind of ranking of Cronenberg films?
1: Yeah, this is a, a little bit more towards like the middle for me. Okay. And um, I, I, like, I don't have a, I don't have a specific ranking, but I can think of at least like three of his movies that I like more and I, I feel like it's because this movie pulls a few punches is what it seems like to me that it's it, this movie could have been much more gruesome. This movie could have been much, it just feels like this, So this is, this would have been his second studio movie. Mm-hmm. um Amer- I should say second American studio movie. One that was in fact, you know, produced and distributed by a major U S studio. Um, his previous movies had been distributed, by, you know, like Paramount or, you know, Universal or whatever, but they weren't the ones producing his movies and they weren't the ones funding and involved in him uh, when he was in Canada. So mm-hmm. this this is and, and this is the first one that for his first Hollywood studio movie is The Dead Zone with um, uh, Martin Sheen and uh, Christopher Walken. And mm-hmm. then comes this one. But this is really the first Hollywood studio movie that is a David Cronenberg movie. Um, yeah. So, but it feels kind of like we didn't get the full David Cronenberg um, that we would get a little bit later on in like Dead Ringers, um, mm-hmm. and even some of his like later stuff. I, I kind of I, there's this sort of middle gap that I have like in his early to early to late '90s stuff. Like I've never seen Existence, um, which I've <laughs> yeah, heard is not bad actually. But uh, like there's just some movies I've just of, of like that period of time I, I, of his I haven't seen. But in terms of like what we think about it, the Cronenberg movies, this one falls a little bit more in the middle. I just feel like there's there was more Cronenberg goodness to, to that you could have tapped into.
0: Yeah, dude, I totally got you on this one. Like when it comes to, you know, like we don't really get into a lot of the. Kind of body horror y stuff till thirty minutes plus into the movie and everything like that, you know. And so, we
1: really don't get it until the very end. Like,
0: you yeah. la- should but, say the,
1: the really the last half. You know, the, the last, you know, last half of the third act of the movie is when it really fucking kicks in.
0: That's exactly right. Like the the way that the ending goes along, you get body horror stuff like all over the place, not just from the the monster and everything. And mm-hmm. so it's a it's definitely not as much of the body horror stuff as we've gotten in some of his other movies. That is a hundred percent true. Like I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in the top 10 on this one. Um, I, I videodrome is probably my favorite. Um, I have seen it even since we watched it last year and stuff.
1: Videodrome is my, it's by far my favorite movie of his, like by far. Yeah.
0: And like, so this one, like this one, um, while the movie does say a lot I I feel Videodrome says a little bit more and it's a little bit more like I guess foretelling of of the future kind of like how we discussed and everything like that Mm -hmm. with screen names and I just a lot of really great stuff that we had this conversation about our trilogies last uh breakfast very
1: yeah he was very much ahead of the curve on what um not just technology but a very this very particular brand of technology, you know, TV, social technology, I guess.
0: Right. Right. And he does such a great job of execution and Videodrome and just not to mention the whole James Woods thing, just like when James Woods is cool. Um, That really, like really does it for me as far as like what I'm able to crown at the top of my David Cronenberg list. But this one was so goddamn good. Like I I really did enjoy this, 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 repeat most recent viewing and stuff that I had. Um, just all in all, really, really good stuff, man, for sure. So we're going to get into the movie now, so let's kind of talk about the story. So let's, um, you and I will, will take one theme that's explored in the movie, and what do you think David Cronenberg is trying to say about your selected theme?
1: Gotcha. Um, so I'm going to go with dying here, mm-hmm. and it not death itself. I mean, I think, you know, that that's whatever it's not exciting um, <laughs> but dying um literally like wasting away be it because of old age or in this case as um as uh, brundle actually says very outright you know a disease or cancer mm-hmm. um right. and sort of like the toll it takes you know obviously like we we get the you know the the transformation of uh brundle into brundle fly is like the very obvious the most obvious metaphor but we're also sort of, ex- you know, we're also through Veronica and, you know, less, less, a little bit less, but also through, um, uh, stathis. that we're getting, we're getting sort of like what the people close to someone who's dying are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, we get like this, so obviously we get Brundle wasting away, like his ears are falling off, his fingers, fingernails coming off, um, we get that aspect of it. and like people who have you know who have seen someone waste away because of cancer or whatever other disease um like understand that that's like something that happens to people. but mm-hmm. also like just the 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 toll that it takes on Veronica and but also like upon seeing him, like how hard it is for her just to be in his company. like knowing full well that she wants to like be there for him, but like it is hard to sort of see this person become something different in the way yeah. that it would be you know, imagine like you, you're you married to someone for 20, 30 years who's healthy and strong and then it all takes is a couple of years for them to just completely slide away. Like that person that you knew is just wasted away and is gone. So we, mm-hmm. we get that sort of visceral reaction from Veronica of someone, you know, grieving someone who's dying. But even even Stathis sort of gets this sort of like, you know, when we, we see the video, you know, when she shows him the videotape of him eating and um, he's like revulsed in the same way that like, these, you know, probably in, in modern times, you and I would be, like, sharing, um, you know, like, sharing videos of people who have, like, extreme diseases and stuff. Like, right. over, you know, over Instagram or whatever else. It's that same kind of sort of gawking, you know, um, head-turning nature of, like, a car accident. Like, holy shit, look at this dude. Like, mm-hmm. we've never, you know, you've never seen anything like this before. It's the same kind of reaction that people have to, like, extreme disease.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, dude, the the theme of dying is all over the place in this movie and stuff like that, you know, and like uh, Seth is the human of Seth is dead, like long before the the fly monster is and everything Mm -hmm. and you can follow their. Process and everything, and like that, you know. I guess the the preparation, not necessarily grieving, because I associate grieving with after death. Yes, yes. But, but um, almost like this preparation and then just acceptance of somebody who is on the verge of not being with us anymore and mm-hmm. everything. Whether it's Fly Monster or Six Feet Under, which in this case, how it ends is both. Um, but the um, but how watching this person that she clearly cares about. And like, you could see Veronica caring about him almost up until the way end. Like she didn't want to put, you know, she didn't want to blow him away. She was originally resistant to the idea. And then ultimately, like after kind of looking at the monster and pretty much confirming in her own mind that there is no way back, does this action of putting this guy out of his misery, you know, take place. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: th- those types of situations, especially the, the pull the, the pull the plug situation, you know, this could easily from her character's perspective be interpreted metaphorically as somebody who's going through the whole, like pull the plug situation on top of the, the many other things that Veronica is going through in this story and stuff for sure. Yeah. And yeah, like, you know, we follow like the process of him dying, like, like you know, Pretty thoroughly in everything in his de- in his decomposition from human form to animal form. I mean, the audience follows very very well, and like you're seeing just slow bits of the human of Seth dying on screen from the fingernails all the way to the computer no longer being able to recognize his voice and stuff. So that's that's a very very solid and very prominent theme throughout the course of this movie and everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. How about nice. how about yours? Okay, so mine is going back to, like, technology and stuff, because technology is very prominent in this um, in this film. But it's not just, like, you know, our relationship with technology. I am going with something of, like, when playing – like, somebody basically playing God and, like, the idea of – just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should do something. And this particular like theme and everything is more centered on to the Seth character and stuff is he is like, it's almost kind of like an Icarus type thing where, you know, it's something that he feels can change the world. But when he like, you know, experiences the results of it, it's no longer like what he wants and everything. And there are characters like Veronica who are, you know like maybe at one point in time trying to try to help him try to stop him and it doesn't work and everything he's just more obsessed with getting himself back to back to the way that he was and um, this kind of relationship with technology that allowed him to feel like he could play god and everything was ultimately his demise and that is like you know that's another kind of like common and popular thing amongst you know these technology-centric movies or even just movies in general when humans decide to play god and it uh, and it goes wrong and everything so that that's like one um that's like one of the themes that i had had um i do want to um ask you about one kind of secondary theme that um between Videodrome and the Fly, we have we have we have heard, and it's this idea of the flesh here. Now, like in Videodrome, it's like um you know for the new flesh to survive, you got to kill the old flesh, and in the Fly, he mentions um the flesh repeatedly and everything, and how like the flesh is supposed to drive the machine crazy, and how like he has to get underneath the flesh to like truly make changes in everything. Like, do you think that like with this whole like reoccurring notion of the flesh, like, is this like, it almost feels like Cronenberg is trying to make like some kind of like statement on humanity because I read this article where um, God, this is a really great uh, term that this article uses about what the new flesh means in Videodrome is like that. It's a, liberatory ontological trajectory meaning that this idea of the flesh is this idea of a liberating like almost like this the state of mind where like um, involving physics and like your human state of being so like is this the flesh like this like almost like statement on humanity about like us trying to find our own humanity by breaking through the flesh, going underneath the flesh to make changes. What are your thoughts on this idea of the flesh?
1: I think you're putting a little bit too much stock in it. I think it's just something he's obsessed with. Um, Okay. He's just a, he's a body horror director that likes to tear the human body apart and rebuild it and reconstruct it. And what are we made out of? We're made out of flesh.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, like there's like, I got kind of lost in this Videodrome article and just kind of went down a, uh, a tangent and everything from uh, from there, which happens often with I, I me. I mean, and-
1: it's, it's one of those things, you can interpret it, like we said, good good horror, you can interpret it how you want to. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's something that, that Cronenberg is kind of obsessed with in terms of, in terms of like sort of like this, this stuff that makes us up, that is simultaneously durable but completely pliable, that you can create, a, create, a, create out of nothing, destroy easily, rearrange. It's just a very interesting sort of weird, interesting collection of cells and atoms and things, and inside this flesh is something that, like, we have this consciousness that probably shouldn't even exist. Um, okay. It's just, I, I don't, believe me, I don't think it's that deep.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, no problem at all. I'm gonna stop saying the word flesh now because I've said it so many times, it's starting to sound weird to me, and it's starting to sound like that word moist. So we're gonna move beyond <laughs> the it's, use just of just the- think about it the
1: same way, and think about like the things that Stephen King is obsessed with, mm-hmm. um, like Stephen King, like the things that reoccur in Stephen King's, in you know whether it's turns of phrase, types of characters. This is absolutely no different.
0: Okay, gotcha. Understand, for sure. Awesome, dude. Thank you for shining a little light on that for me, definitely. So how would you um, describe the pace and the flow of the story overall in The Fly?
1: You know, it's, um, it's very, very quick. Um, again, it's the 1980s. Directors weren't making, even blockbusters weren't, weren't exceeding 100 minutes usually. But this one felt exceedingly quick. Um, you know the the speed at which Veronica and 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 Brundle go go from acquaintances to lovers it feels extremely fast and in fact like the timeline is like four four weeks and six days um, mm-hmm. is like the total timeline it just feels like it's at warp speed which again I will never complain about a short movie but it's... I feel like this is one of the one of the times where fifteen to twenty five minutes more would have greatly benefited sort of the pace and greatly benefited some of the, um, some of the changes that we see Brundle go through.
0: Oh dude. Yeah. I understand what you mean on this for sure. This is a story with like no fat on the bones at all. And like, my God, does it move quick? Like I could see like a little bit of a buffer in the beginning, you know, like maybe even seeing Jeff Goldblum working on the project Cause like when it starts off, I mean, you are at this event, he's talking to her, he said a machine that's going to change the world twice in three minutes, you know, like mm-hmm. this does move in it just insanely quick and everything like that, you know? So that is one thing that, um, this story does, does really well is move fucking, move fucking oh, yeah. fast and everything, you know? Um, I would say that like, um, this is got a re- for for being something that moves fast, the buildup to is just absolutely fantastic. Like the way that, um, we go from, you know, the meeting to, I think you're probably looking at like, like t- t- not even 10 minutes into the movie. He's already doing the demonstration with the, um, with the, you know, Veronica's like stocking and everything like that. Like her mm-hmm. pantyhose, I guess that they're still called that or not. I, I don't buy them and we don't wear them out here. So, <laughs> um, the, um, Like, that happens. And, I mean, you're getting – like, you get the situation so quickly. You understand what he's trying to do. You get – enough like information about seth as a person like they even kind of address like where the hell the money comes from and everything so like you are just fed like things that you need to know to move the story on to the to the next um the next like part the next beat whatever you want to call it and that just goes it just goes and goes and goes and goes and like for uh, this movie being just, like, about over 90 minutes, like, even maybe even slightly less if you take away the opening and closing credits, like, this um, – the, the the flow of this, I think, is, is just, like – it's just great, like, and it moves really, really fast, that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say. For something that does – for his 90 minutes, you're just like, holy shit, like, wow. And I watched um, – i watched i think about two-thirds of it last night and i watched the, the remaining third earlier today and when i went to go to my phone to like kind of check to see where i where i dropped off the movie i was like holy christ like i went through i went through 70 minutes of the movie late last night and it felt like it felt so easy to uh to get through that so this um the story and the pacing of it, I thought, like, you know, in terms of giving you everything you know and keep moving on, it does, like, a really phenomenal job of that. And I can see what you're saying here, where like, a little bit of extra time would definitely, I'm not going to say that, it, you know, it would definitely benefit from a little bit of extra time, you know, um, and they just pr- primarily to maybe slow the pace down a little bit, give us maybe a little bit more, you know, like, I there are some things, like, I'd probably say, like, stakes wise especially with um with Veronica and Stathis like some of their stakes and everything like that I didn't quite totally grasp so they could have maybe fleshed out those characters a little bit more mm-hmm. which is weird because I thought that they were very much so fleshed out and um you know and you really understood like their intentions and everything like that. But I I thought that they maybe could have done a better job of like setting up the stakes, which a little bit more time in the movie would have given them the opportunity to do.
1: I, yeah, I think this, this is one of those things that feels like not, not exactly like a studio mandate that like, Hey, you got to cut this out you got to get rid of this more of a, like more of a, like, you know, like, Hey, just keep it short. Like, mm-hmm. do, your, do your weird fucking body horror remake of a 1950s movie, but like, keep it short. Like, you're, you know, you're, again, at this point, obviously, video drums, um, you know, video drums in the bucket, uh, dead zone's already been done, um, scanners. I mean, like, he's well known at this point, but not, he is still not in America, David Cronenberg, at this mm-hmm. point. So it feels like one of those things where, like, um, you know, the studio was like, any. If, if you know any unnecessary fat, trim it out. Try to keep this thing as as um, as as small. You know, try to keep it within the confines as much as you can. Without, because yeah. I, I don't re- I don't recall at least in the things I read, there wasn't like it was a studio interference necessarily, but probably just an ongoing sort of edict like keep it
0: simple. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, you bet, dude. Then like that seems to be the general, the general kind of um, I guess like. Statement about movies from the 80s. Just keep it simple. Give them everything that they that they need to know. And like for, I'm telling you, like for 90 minutes, they really did a good job oh, of sure. that and stuff. Like and even just all these cool little ways of getting to know the the characters and their personality. Like Stathis has got a couple of like, you know, de- de- degrading sort of one-liners mm-hmm. and stuff that give him the appearance of the, uh, you know, the cocky boss and everything. They, they don't like... um they don't spoon feed the audience in any way, shape, or form. Like when we see uh, Veronica go home and Stathis is in the shower, there's no like, oh my God, like you and I have been broken up for six months, blah, 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 blah. What are you doing here? You know, they just kind of get to it. And then when they have the scene about the key and how he doesn't want to give the key back, you know, I'm just going to keep it around for safekeeping kind of thing. Like, you know, what you're doing in probably five to 10 lines. Um, is, is enough. And it doesn't feel like you're just like, you know, Hey audience, like, let me bring you up to speed really quick. They kind of let the audience, they, they give the audience the benefit of the doubt with certain levels of intelligence, you know, and, um, and, and it moves along really good as a result of it and stuff for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I, like I said, I'll never complain about a short movie. Um, it is it is blissful to watch a 90-minute movie sometimes. Not sometimes, all the time. It's blissful <laughs> to watch a good 90-minute movie.
0: Yeah, that has been one of the great things about this um, kind of 80s theme motif we've been keeping up with for the last couple of months is no watching two-hour-plus epics and stuff. Like It's all like you could get done with those movies and still go work out later kind of thing. Yeah,
1: it, I mean, like I was thinking about this. Even um, Even Red Dawn is on the longer side of things we've watched recently, and it's still not two hours long.
0: Yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah, like you just bet, dude.
1: Just under, but still, it's not even two hours long.
0: Right, and it's like people today, people of today, take notes of the yesteryear. Please, <laughs> <Yep>. come on. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it's, we've talked about it before. It's because of fucking China. Like, yeah. for whatever fucking reason, they enjoy 180-minute they enjoy movies for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, just hang out in that theater and don't go outside into Xi Jinping's world. Or President Xi's world. President yeah. Xi's world. I that's guess, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just stay in a place that's safe and you have superheroes around you. <laughs> so, like, um, you know, we often discuss about um, the notion of, like, a city or a location being a character in a story. Like, do you consider that Toronto to be a character in The Fly?
1: Not at all. In fact, they go out of their way to not tell you it's Toronto. Other than yeah. some unintentional looks at the CN Tower and a couple other buildings, it, it, if you if you're not like if you didn't know Cronenberg was Canadian and you didn't know what some of these buildings <clears throat> were, you would have no idea that it was a you know filmed in Canada, um, Canadian movie. You, you know if you didn't know what Co-op Cabs were, like you <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't know that this was Canada at all.
0: Yeah, and like man, I kind of wanted it to be a little bit of a character i'm not gonna lie like i you know you could see some of the older shots you know especially you're right like the cn tower that kind of things and everything like that and what the city looked like in the 80s but there's not a lot of like at least from my experience of going there there's not a lot of imagery that like translates into like what the modern toronto looks like with the exception of that tower and everything like that which is a landmark and will never ever come down yeah and like it's um it was cool to see some of the Toronto landscapes in the eighties because like, by God, it like the way they look at it, it just looks like something out of New York when he's like walking around the the city and everything like that. It looks, you could tell me that's New York city and I'd be like, yeah, sure. No problem. So I, I really wanted Toronto to be a little bit of a character to even just have that, like how we saw in video drone with like the Toronto department of Harbor sign and everything like that. Just something to, just showcase it being Toronto, but we just, we didn't get it in this movie, unfortunately. Uh,
1: Yeah. It really like, not that like, um, not that like you're taking huge notice of the Toronto things necessarily in Videodrome, but it does give it a different sort of edge when you know, okay, we're in Toronto. There's just, there's just enough of a difference there that you're sort of aware of, you know, like, oh, okay. So like this, that, you know, like when, um, he's out to eat with, um, with uh with Debbie Harry at like the um like that I guess it's Indian place I guess something like that yeah like there's there's just things that just sort of make sense for Toronto and like you kind of get into that sort of mood you know you kind of mentally are like okay we're in Toronto this is the way they're doing things in Canada in the 1980s and in this one like again like you get some you get some unintentional shots at the CN Tower um if you're I mean I guess back in the 1980s Young Street looked ex- looked exactly like Times Square. Um like um so like like you said like it looks like a street in New York because it just they kind of did that Young Street kind of did at that point in time. But
2: mm-hmm. like
1: if you're if you're not really like keyed into it, there's no way you would have picked out and kind of like put yourself into that mind frame that like okay, this is a Canadian movie. This is a you know, we're you know, we're do- you know, we're doing things just a little bit differently cuz it's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Like it I I never got into that mind frame for this movie,
0: yeah, no, I I didn't either. I really wanted to, like, I really, really wanted to, but it just it just didn't happen. It didn't take away anything in the movie for me at all. Like, I just oh yeah, I, I, I've kind of like become a fan of like especially like since we've gone over some of the 80s stuff and just 80s programming that I've watched like I've just kind of become a way a fan of the way cities looked in the 80s which um you know it's it's not saying much because there really wasn't a lot to offer and especially when we see Videodrome and stuff like there's nothing like super romantic about any of the skyline shots or any of like the neighborhood shots that they show that they that they show in that movie but like It just kind of reminds me, I guess, of Cleveland. Like before, Cleveland had this little, like you know, modern, like modern Renaissance. Every city, every city
1: in the '80s sucked.
0: (laughs) They were violent.
1: (laughs) They were filled with drugs. Like every city in the world in the 1980s, fucking sucked
0: right yeah that's that is exactly uh right and everything like that for fucking sure my god and cleveland was no exception to that at all and pretty much stayed like that for a a while after the 80s too so yeah um all right so let's move into um the characters now so we got a pretty small cast compared to most movies here small. only very small Yeah, only 12 people um, listed on the IMDb page, which is just insane for a movie that was like a financial success and studio backing, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, So like name one way that having such a small cast benefited this movie.
1: So like because this movie moves at warp speed, um, we're still able to focus on the relationship between uh, Brundle and Veronica. Like Mm -hmm. if we had realistically if we even had another person um that would have been you know like a secondary character that would have been at the tier of um of a status like where on earth would we have any time for that character
0: right There's, no there, there is none None. no not at all like going anywhere like even string a, a far in any way shape or form you're right even just the, the addition of one other character that we could label as like i guess a, a d story or something like that
1: Could, could been like, like if we would have met veronica's friend from college like right that person could not fit in here
0: no not not at all not just not a chance there's like no room for it whatsoever and everything in this movie fits together like a fucking puzzle like perfectly almost especially with the 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 cranked up pacing and everything and moving so fast like any any deviation from the the main characters of the story like i don't even think there's a scene where Stathis is on his own like i think he's always with with veronica in some way shape or form you know so even following him for like a couple of minutes while he, I don't know, goes and sees the weird crazy guy who foresaw the whole thing coming and tells him how to kill a monster fly, whatever it might be like right. any stupid situation like that, that I think would, it would definitely fuck around with the pacing, but it would also throw off the, the buildup because the movie just builds so perfectly. Like everything seriously builds towards something else that varying from that building pattern, just for fuck's sake, would have would have really been noticeable and I think would have really thrown the movie off, just even by adding one person.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. There's just, there is no room. There's just no room for other people. There's no room for other stories. Um, you even could have, you even could have minimized Stathis somewhat. And yeah. given, I mean, like you could have and given uh, either Veronica or either Brundle more time. And it still would have worked because like the you know like the the amount that they use status is totally fine like it, it's mm-hmm. and he's and since he's not really he's only really critical to the story in like three different scenes essentially um uh, yeah you, you know what i'm saying like it's it's yeah there is the 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 allotted time is just enough and even if you were to take a little bit away from some other some of the other people that we meet it would still work fine
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: d- definitely, dude. I totally got you on that one for sure. Nice. So how, how long do you feel that the romance element between Seth and Ronnie impacted the story overall? So
1: this is sort of where I don't want to say it falls flat or anything, but like it, it almost be, because of sort of the, the, the metaphor that we're going for, if you didn't give if you didn't give Brundle a love interest, then... Why would anyone have a reason to go like see him decay?
2: Right, you I know gotcha. what I mean.
1: Like it, it, yeah. it's almost out of necessity, and it's totally fine. Like it, it's totally fine. I, I just sort of feel like it's not like it's it's critical to the story, but it's critical because of, like it has to be for, right. for what Cronenberg's going for. It has to be. If it was his friend or sister, or something, maybe it could still work, but. I, I don't I don't think I think that movie is a very different movie. If it's like mm-hmm. if it's his best friend from college, his coworker you know, another right. scientist or something watching him disintegrate. That's a very different movie.
0: Yeah. And like this whole idea with the, the love story is really the only way that they can maximize conflict to the to the to the I guess for all it's fucking worth. Because yeah. if it's a family member. Like, yeah, there's definitely like conflict there, but there's not the the love element and the, the pregnancy element, especially which ties mm-hmm. the the last kind of act together and really raises the stakes of the last act. You you wouldn't you that that would definitely like not be there in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And if that's not there. Like, what are you really going to do? You know, like, where did, like, where, how are you possibly going to tie it all together and still have it be as cool as what we saw in the, yeah. in the, what was in the final product? Like, I, um, I put this question on here because I was thinking about the, um, the difference between the Pogue script and what Cronenberg ultimately wrote. And in the Pogue script, um, Seth and, Veronica were already married. They were a married couple and Mm. everything like that. And then Cronenberg decided to switch it to a, like a blossoming developing relationship. And I don't think that the married part of it works that much. It just doesn't work that much either because they would always like kind of have to be in the same place together. You know, like some of the weights and some of the fights um, and conflict that Seth and Veronica have, you know, she lives on her own. She could always leave him. Mm-hmm. It's like a com- commanding statement for her to just like say, you know, fuck you. I'm walking out to leave, mm-hmm. like to leave in tears and everything. There's also so, no
1: conflict with status then.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. There's no conflict with status too, if they are married and everything. And like the, um, the having the, air, you maybe like the, and like they, if they were to do something like that, they would have had to have made Veronica bad. And it would be like, she's having an affair type thing to, right. to bring staff. in, if that was the, if that's how they, and that to me, I think would have put the audience in a position where Veronica was not as likable, you know what I'm saying? And like, I don't really think that it's fair to have a, Female character or any character for that matter, it just seems to stick more, um, especially because where I'm going with what I'm about to say here, it's just really not fair to have her go with uh, a an, an abortion conversation. A now she's cheating on her husband and everything like that. You're really like doing that character, I think, a disservice by just layering on like her kind of flaws. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I got you. I got you. I think you could you could do it. Um, you don't have time. Is I'll I'll preface that with with saying this: you don't have the time to do this. But if this was a TV show, then they could be married, and she could cheat on him. But because of what he's doing to himself,
0: like that's exactly
1: yes, driven into the arms of you know a former lover or you know just a, a friend or whatever. But like that's something that would happen over four or five episodes, not. 20
2: minutes
0: (laughs) right exactly in that situation if she were to be driven to the arms of somebody else because she's been treated so bad in that case the audience might root for her to get away from seth and everything like that and i know i totally fucking would and um but with this movie you definitely did not have the time for any uh, of that whatsoever and to to have her Leave, you know, like if we were just following a similar, if we're following a similar structure as to what we saw, she probably would have left him somewhere in the second act, maybe like the, maybe the later part of the first and in somewhere into the second act. And once again, you're just you're kind of throwing off everything and stuff. And that would would make that even worse is that he would have to start treating her badly at like minute. 10 into the movie and then do Mm -hmm. that for the rest of the movie. Then where do you go? So we're going into buildup where, yeah, it's like they're married. There's this machine going on. He transforms. He starts turning her shitty all in a 15 minute time frame. That is almost way too fast in terms of pace. Oh, that's
1: way. Yeah. That that, now we're hitting the accelerator now (laughs) to, to sort of make that make sense. Now, now you're looking at a fucking marathon movie. And you're looking at something that would just drag and drag and drag. It would be bad. Mm-hmm.
0: R- right. Yeah, that is exactly fucking correct there. And like, expect, when you go so hard in the beginning, you're going to be looking at, and if the movie was still 90 minutes, you'd be going at about probably 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even a little bit longer where everything is just like wonky and clunky. Whereas compared to what we saw, Mm -hmm. you go 30, 45 minutes of just really good, but quick storytelling.
1: Yeah. And I think you can, I think you can believe it because they do enough. They do enough with both Veronica and, and Brundle like, you get enough, like, okay, so Veronica was in a, clearly a toxic relationship with her boss. So mm-hmm. she's kind of vulnerable. Um And then you have this, um you have this, you know, you have, Seth, you have Seth Brundle, who's clearly very ambitious, and it would kind of make sense that he, you know, would, like, immediately sort of, like, want, um, I mean, who wouldn't want 30-year-old Gina Davis, you know? And <laughs> right. Conversely, who wouldn't want 35-year-old uh, 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 Jeff Goldblum? So, like it all makes sense in the way that like, it all makes sense as a sort of very sort of fast rising relationship.
0: Yeah. 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 And they were together in real life. Yes, they, were. During, yeah, they got married this year. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. I learned about that uh, today and everything. So um, yeah, crazy stuff there. So how would you describe Seth's character arc in the film? So,
1: you know, I, I really, uh, this is sort of the one thing upon this watch. Like I said, I wasn't surprised but I did get a different, a slightly different read off of it. Um, and that's like Seth Brundle is in fact cosplaying as a meek researcher. And that as time, as this movie goes on, that veneer gets stripped away. And we mm-hmm. see that Seth Brundle is in fact a narcissistic mad scientist. Right. And it is, it, you know, that you can still feel bad for him, right? Like you, you definitely can still feel bad for him. But like we get these hints as to like what's going on right away. You get it right in the very beginning. I'm working on something that's gonna change the world. And when um when Veronica kind of goes, well, why don't I go talk to some of the other people? You know, or I'm sorry, everyone else says yeah. that everyone in this room says that. He says, Yeah, but they're all lying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you get that sort of that first hint that this is like he is beyond cocky. Even if he, yeah. even if it is in sort of a more soft spoken kind of voice in a in a in a much less you know, as as big as you know, still what Jeff Goldblum is like six foot four or something, as like kind of tall and good looking as Jeff Goldblum is, Jeff Goldblum is, he still kind of looks like a nerd, like he's yeah, still, you know, he's still made up like a nerd in this. Um, but like when you, so we get that first moment, you, you see how cocky he is, despite kind of his sort of very nerdy outward appearance. Um, but then you get, you know, Stathis talks about the research he did on him, and how this person, you know, Brundle is a super genius. That he was mm-hmm. 20 and he was, he was a part of a group that just essentially missed out on the Nobel Prize in physics research. Right. Um, why Why does Brundle teleport himself? Out of spite and jealousy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why he did it. So, you know, like, it, it is sort of like, upon this watch, it was just sort of like, oh, right. Brundle, while you can still feel bad for Seth Brundle and what happens to him, and like sort of like the, the lessons that he's learning and everything else, he brought all of this on himself because he just can't help himself. He's a mad scientist.
0: Yes, exactly. There's somebody who wants, who wanted it all. Like he wanted to change the world to build this, you know, crazy machine and everything like that. And I got to tell you, like, I, I actually like, don't believe that he was doing it for the better of humanity at all. Like I thought he was no. pretty much doing it for himself and, and everything it, like it that. You know? It
1: like what he's like, you know, and obviously like teleportation would be fucking incredible, what is his main gripe?
0: It's uh He gets car sick. That's right, yes, in the beginning. Yes, that's right. yeah That's fucking insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I know. That's right. Yeah, he gets car sick, that's right.
1: You know, he, gets, <laughs> yeah. he gets motion sickness, he gets car sick. It's fucking insane. It it sounds it's kind of funny. Like it sounds like whenever you hear like these, you know, these various startup companies mm-hmm. um that always like for whatever reason they're found for whatever reason their founders always introducing the company in a commercial. And it's like I found I founded this company because of a bad experience I had doing this. And it's like that's exactly what he sounds lo- sounds like like a like the founder of some fucking pretentious hipster startup company.
0: Yeah, that that's exactly right. Like, yeah, hey, this was my this was my the bane of my existence, and because of this app, I managed to fix it and everything. Yep. And now my app is big enough to own you <laughs> and all yep. that stuff. Y- yeah, oh yeah, dude, for fucking sure on that. You're right. The car sickness part, like it's such a, um, it's such a small thing in the beginning. And I don't even really know if they ever revisit, um, the idea of the, the car sickness or whatever with the beyond the, the one scene that we get in the beginning and all that stuff. But,
1: uh, uh, very briefly, they mention it after they t- teleport the baboon.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And like, um, I noticed that even when he was in the monster form, he was still hell bent on winning the Nobel Nobel prize. Like he even mentions it like when he's in the costume and everything like that. And it just kind of shows like somebody who like what I believe, you know, it's just somebody that's in it for themselves in it to have that accomplishment, to get the Nobel prize that he just fell short of getting when he was younger and all that stuff. And the cockiness, the arrogance, the, um, the demanding nature of him where it's like, he immediately like without even thinking like, Hey Veronica, you need to get into the tell. You need to get into the pod. Like it's going to fix you all this other stuff. And then when he finds out that um, it could fix him, this way he he's more or less into like forcing her with the baby to go into the, uh, the telepod and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So this was somebody that um, while in appearance, because they did an excellent casting job kind of comes off as this like you know, like on the sly stud, but like nerdy guy in all reality, he has the the personality of just like a good looking egotistical maniac and yep. stuff. If this was a, like, which, you know, I'll save it for a couple questions later, but like that, or it actually would be the the next question was one of the things that, um you know, Goldblum brought to the table that only he could bring to the table. And this is this, you know, like what we're kind of talking about here, like somebody that does have this, like, good looking but kind of docile nerdy appearance and he's definitely has this charisma about him and he's even funny at times when i don't necessarily think that he should be funny like referring to his medicine cabinet as the brundle museum of natural history and like um but underneath that that like innocent looking face there is this like crazy like deranged power hungry dude and that is one of the things that like i feel he he him and like maybe only like a few other people might've been able to bring to the table because if you like, you know, there's just to think of some of the the bigger names from this time period, you know, like even some of the action stars and like, you know, they're just not going to be able to do it. They might be able to capture the, the crazy egotistical maniac side of it, but they're not going to be able to pull off the, the nerdy kind of good looking nerdy doctor guy in the way that Goldblum did.
1: Yeah, I. This is one. You know, when, when you, when I was looking at this question, like, while I, while I don't think that this he was like the only person that could have played this role,
2: mm-hmm. there,
1: his, I, I, I had almost the same thing written down. This sort of manic energy and manic charisma that he has, mm-hmm. that is very unique to Jeff to a Jeff Goldblum performance. Like you. You, you know, like, you know, like some of the, the, the ticks and things that like are that sort of transcend um, Seth Brundle to Brundle Fly are definitely exaggerated, um, you know, as like a as like a little character point that we can pick up on. But that is still sort of part of the the package that you get with the Jeff Goldblum performance. He's mm-hmm. just going to have this sort of like almost like he can't sit still. Right. Like that's a, right. Every goddamn movie he's ever been in, he just looks like he can't quite sit still, um, <laughs> right? And it, 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 it def, I mean, it works. You know, it works and works great in Jurassic Park. Um, it works great in this movie. And I, I, you know, like thinking about some of the other casting choices, um, would have changed this movie drastically. I, I know Mel Gibson was offered this role. Oh, um, <laughs> Mel Gibson in 1986, that would have been very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he was. I'm not sure that he was quite the actor that he, like, would become, you know, to pull it yeah. off, necessarily. Right. Um, so that would have been, you know... And again, I think that would have been a very different movie. Um, the other... One of the other ones that I, that I found intriguing that I think... I think could have pulled it off, but again, it would have been a very different movie, Richard Dreyfus in 1986. Oh, yeah. Oh, would have, yeah. Was offered this, and that sort of, He has that same... Even though he's a significantly smaller... Um, he really looks like the nerd kind of guy um he has that same kind of manic energy that that sort of would kind of actually really fit this role but you would definitely see him more as just this like he's very much the nerdy scientist versus Mm -hmm. what goldblum can kind of pull off when you know after his you know unintentional um you know genetic grafting with the fly like this sort of physical you know the more physical prowess kind of thing just sort of fits him better than it would have Richard
2: Dreyfus.
0: yeah oh yeah I mean like I number one for the life of me cannot imagine what Richard Dreyfus looks like in shape I'm, I'm trying but I just can't connect the the two dots there I mean just jacked. think
1: about think about Richard Dreyfus and Jaws basically
0: he was younger then. yeah that's right yeah I get a lot of like I don't know I'm kind of like living in the like images of older Richard Dreyfus, you know, like I'm kind of seeing right. that right. body type and everything. He would have definitely played the nerd part, fucking fantastically. I, I don't necessarily know if he's got the um, kind of the slick, you know, to be like the, the good looking dude and everything, you know, like it's almost like he's like ha- him and Mel Gibson are like two halves that combined probably would have played the character very, very well. But the, the two of them, don't the two of them only have like half of what it takes to actually play the part and stuff,
1: yeah. I think um, I'm like I, there's a movie with young Richard Dreyfus that I can't think of right now. He definitely is sort of a leading man from an era w- in which we don't have like the leading men anymore. Like you know, like Gold Bloom like worked out for this role, and he's still mm-hmm. very thin. Um, yeah, I mean, he's in great shape and all and all. But like there was a point in time where like you're leading men in Hollywood in like the 70s. They didn't work out like <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't do cardio and pick up weights for like two months you know, prior. And like, right. that's where Richard Dreyfus comes from. That's like his background.
0: Yeah, I got you. Those are like the uh, like what you see of photos from like the NFL where it's like dudes smoking on the field and drinking and stuff like that all day and partying and not being in shape, you know, not having that physical kind of regiment that like actors and stuff like that have today and stuff like that. No, I I understand what you're saying all the way, bro, for sure. nice so let's move on to the monster here so we see the start of Seth's transformation at the end of the first act with the reveal of the full monster at the end of the third act so in this story do you think that there's any advantages by revealing the full monster earlier in the story
1: none in fact I think it would have been a huge detriment um, the you know the it would have ruined the metaphor that 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 Cronenberg was going for with you know the, the whole dying metaphor and the 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 sort of the toll it takes on everyone but also like we need you know people like we needed to see the progression of both the physical progression but also like the mental progression as Mm -hmm. as he becomes crazier and crazier and had this like happened right away like i feel like in the original fly it's like an instant transformation okay Um, I, i could be wrong or it's like real soon um that like that would have really worked against it if he was like a fly creature, like right away.
0: Yeah. Like I was thinking like immediately, if they would have had him be revealed in the full monster at any point in time earlier, it would have switched over into more of like a Frankenstein, angry villagers, pitchforks chasing the, the monster down and stuff kind of movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's definitely not what this movie is. Like there's, you know, there is definitely a monster in everything, but the movie is about like this guy progressing and transforming into the monster, both physically and mentally. Whereas if we would have gotten him earlier on in the movie, full monster, we would have number one, just been deprived of the the ending, which the ending for this is awesome. And like, it would have just become a little bit like too, (laughs)
2: like
0: put this the right way here, like too Stupid for like what the story yes. is. It would have taken a lot of the intellectuality yes. out of it and made it into more of like a, you know, like a popcorny kind of monster movie and stuff like that. And I'm sure they would have, um you know, it might even be like Veronica, like you know, be like kind of defending him, like the way that Winona Ryder did with Edward Scissorhands and stuff, like hey, don't kill him, he's good, all that kind of stuff. It's, and
1: yes, it is much more. It's almost like a slasher movie. Is right. what you would have been looking at you know, obviously with a monster, but like we're you know, like we're right away getting into the sort of the gruesomeness and the killing and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um even though actually Brundle doesn't kill anybody. Um but right um we would have gotten it too early, and you know what? That is what the movie you're describing is called the Fly Two. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah and, I haven't I haven't seen it. I don't plan on watching it, but you don't need
1: to, but that's that's what the fly two is
0: okay, yeah, like it's,
1: it's 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 their son um is in fact a creature and goes and kills other people goes and kills people,
0: gotcha. yeah. like the slasher element is what it would have come turned into a hundred percent. And if you look at like the way slasher movies are, there's usually like a um if we take like the Halloween, the first Halloween as an example, like you had the opening kill scene with mm-hmm. the young Michael Myers and Judith Myers, then you're looking. I mean, dude, you are looking at a while before Michael Myers like kills again, to where the audience sees it. I mean, they um, Doctor Loomis and the um, person that he is like Doctor Loomis um, on the way back from Smith's Grove, um, he like stops off at the corner of the side of the road or something like that, and he finds like you know all this kind of shit everywhere, and there's a body that the, the camera kind of pans over to, and we see a body laying there, but there's like there's really not that much horror in the first, you know, outside of the opening kill scene, the escape, the escape scene, which is between five and 10 minutes after the opening kill. And so like a movie where the monster is revealed early, man, you would have had to have crammed every single thing into the first act. And then in act two and three, he's just on the loose, like killing people. And then you'd have to develop, why is he killing the people? All this kind of stuff, you know, like you're just really spending a lot of time in the wrong areas and um this story of the fly that we saw from the you know we saw that we're talking about it's just not a slasher movie story by any way shape or form the, what mm-hmm. you're saying here with the sequel yeah that sounds like something they would do in a sequel yep. all the way yep. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's you don't need to
1: see it it's it's i mean it's it's a good it's a good um you know it's it's uh, the guy does the special effects chris wallace chris wallace
0: yeah, W A L A S. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Chris Wallace directs it and does the um, does the effects in the second one. So like it, you know, it's on point. Like you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's got some cool, um, got some cool transformation stuff. But like it, there's, you don't need to watch it. Like it's fine.
0: Yeah, I saw it on HBO. That's one I'm going to skip over. I got like some other stuff in the queue to uh, check out, and yep. that's what I'm just going to kind of wait for it. it to yeah wait for it to show up. Uh, you know, just wait for it to show up on another thing and then maybe think about not watching it at a later date. Yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, previously discussed about monsters being a representation of something else. What do you feel the the monster is a representation of in the fly?
1: So, I mean, obviously Cronenberg says dying and disease. Cancer, right. um, you know, there's, there's a reason why this, I thought this was fascinating and it really makes sense, um, why a lot of the pivotal body stuff takes place in the bathroom. Because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of times where people find out that they have colon cancer or, yeah. or you know, like, you know, you're in the shower and your hair starts to fall out because of whatever disease you have. Like right. it, it, the bathroom is sort of like really where your first warning sign, you know, you mm-hmm. of that you're sick. Um, so like I so obviously like dying a disease, that's the big one. But I also took it, like I said, upon this watch, kind of reframing. Um, exactly who Seth Brundle is and and what he wants, I really do see this monster as being the greed, the, you know, the embodiment of greed and ambition. That yeah. the toll that those two are going to take on you are, you know, they're going to transform you permanently into mm-hmm. something that you don't, that people don't recognize anymore. You know, like, and, and they they keep warning you, like, to stop, to slow down, to to take it, you know, Let's let's figure this out before we before we start, you know, shooting for the moon. And those people have to then sit there and watch the greed and ambition transform someone that they know.
0: Yeah, the exact I'm I'm in the same camp as you on like what I thought the monster was a representation of. I have the exact same things down. Okay. The gre- the greed and particularly like the, the power elements and yeah. everything like that. Yep. That is something that um like I definitely picked up with in every upon this rewatch and even some of the podcasts that I've listened to have kind of talked about the monster being the embodiment of just that and stuff. And like almost like the result of doing something that you had the ability to do, but know that you shouldn't do. And like, when you think about it from the way that you've just described it, like you're right. Like, you know, the relationship with him and Ronnie, it's like Ronnie is like looking at somebody who is just falling further and further into this. You could easily replace the, the you know like um the fly with like a story about somebody getting a job at like it could be the wolf of Wall Street like Jordan yeah. starts off all innocent then it's, falls victim yep. into, into more and more of that lifestyle. Someone playing the
1: someone playing the stock market and just becoming obsessed with money and obsessed with the lifestyle.
0: Right. Exactly. And like, yeah, 100% on that and stuff. And like, I like that you brought up the, um, the thing with the bathroom because yeah, that's a hundred fucking percent true. Like that's something that like, I I didn't have the whole, I didn't think about the, the idea with the bathroom, but yeah, like that's where, you know, people first start to realize that something might be wrong and everything. Like it's a really, um, like familiar situation for people that have been in that situation and like what he's, he's speaking to, he's, he's almost like in many ways kind of speaking exactly and right to those people who have gone through stuff and kind of
2: mm-hmm. in
0: many ways, mirroring what they may have gone through in their lives, but in the form of a fly monster and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I guess, I guess, you know, at the time this, this definitely makes sense. Upon hindsight, and I, I remember reading this in an article that Cronenberg was even surprised by this, that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people at this point in time who, you know, AIDS, AIDS patients who see this as an AIDS allegory as well.
0: Right. Yes, I did. I read a little bit about that and everything like that, which I I, I can't remember. I think I found something in the article where, like, maybe Cronenberg was not as he wasn't as embracing of the AIDS theory, maybe early on, but over time has been a little bit more like, um, yeah, like I could totally understand how people see it like that. Whereas before it was, you know, he's more or less trying to speak about aging and dying and disease and all that stuff. But the time period in the eighties and everything like that, I mean, it is a hundred percent within reason that people in that time period could draw the, the AIDS allegory yep. from this movie. Uh, totally. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move into the standouts here. It's pretty uh, reoccurring um, section when we do the movie review. So oh, we just course. have three of them. Just have three of them really quick to get through. So um, what is your standout body horror example?
1: So I didn't want to pick the, the one that actually is, but like still sort of my favorite, um, my favorite kind of, I, Favorite kind of surprise thing, like, when it, when you introduce people to this movie, um, mm-hmm. the inside-out baboon is, like, very fucking shocking. Like, you you know that you're waiting for something gruesome to happen right. to this baboon, but the fact that it's basically pulled inside-out, gushing blood, the muscles still moving, it's just, like, this fucking wretched little, um, this wretched little sleeve of a fucking, used to be an animal, is yeah. just sort of a great a great sort of harbinger of like what's going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's your first introduction. Like they're not shying. It wasn't like it was like burned or something. This thing was a fucking disgusting pussy mess. And it's just sort of like, well, wait until you see what happens the rest of the movie
0: right exactly yeah like man that was something the imagery of that was something i had kind of forgotten about from way back when and it was almost like seeing it for the first time i was like ooh, oh my god dude like that is just like yuck you know like not not pretty at all and definitely sets the tone for where the movie's going and like i actually read that um in the Pogue script, they were supposed to do a monkey cat kind of thing, like a fusion of two different animals. Yeah, and uh, it, 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 got um, it got filmed. It got filmed. It did, yeah, it did get filmed. Yeah. It didn't make it into the the final like version and everything mm-hmm. like that. And like, if what they did with. The baboon right there is enough of an image to burn into your mind. Um, for me, the monkey cat—I can't even imagine what the hell that would have looked so, like.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was—it was, it was the, the the monkey cat. And then what? Like the reason why they cut it is because um, Brundle beats it to death with the pipe, and that's it right. Tested really poorly with audiences. Really, Be- because of, like <laughs> yeah. you can't, you cannot. And I, this is—I mean, it seems stupid. But, like, you can't, you, you can't have your hero killing animals that aren't, like, predatory, evil animals. They can't right. do
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's this whole, like, um thing that they call, like, the petting the dog moment, you know, which yep. is just, like, a uh, a dumb little, like, couple of seconds here where they sh- purposely show your hero being a nice guy. Pet and the dog, save the cat. Yeah, exactly. Pet the dog, save the cat, all that stuff. And, um... For to have your hero be beating an animal with a pipe. Yeah, your audiences are going to tune out from that guy uh, big time and stuff. They're not going to like him, and they'll probably start thinking about other stuff other than the movie. So it's a really mm-hmm. good idea that they did not decide to put that into the movie and stuff. And like my um my standout examples were like this is all like the little stuff. Cause I, I didn't want, you know, I'm th- the big thing is the big fly monster and all the, the coming of the uh, flesh peeling off right. and all that stuff. Right. At the end. Yeah. That's 100%. That's the, that's the big one. That's the one everybody should take away from this. But like, I loved the, the fingernails coming out and stuff like that in and out of itself was just like fucking gross. And like, yeah, it, like it kind of speaks to this just like kind of fear that I have about, something like that happening and just like picking and it's just, I'm not even going to get into like the actual details of the describing it, but like that just kind of like made me irk a little bit. And for something, a movie that had like, you know, pff, there's no body counts. There's no, none of that stuff. Like that was just kind of this eerie, irky moment that really kind of made me, made my like skin crawl a little bit. And then the, the other one was um, this, like it's in the same vein, but it was his teeth when his teeth were falling out yeah. and stuff. And like, man, that like, once again, it just kind of speaks to me because like a long time ago, I had this kind of in drug induced situation where I was under the impression I had lost a couple of teeth. It happens when you do mushrooms and are at a Mars Volta concert. And like, I was like, I was just like freaked the fuck out and stuff. Like, I was just like, oh my God, how am I going to explain this to my mom that I just lost five teeth? Like, no, it was something that is unique to me that um, seeing it on camera really just kind of got under my skin a little bit because of this situation that I had prior in my life.
1: Losing teeth is not unique to you. It is actually one of, it's actually one of those um, sort of like, it's actually like a really easy accessible body fear because it taps Mm -hmm. into also like our, it also taps into sort of this, um, this idea of like how we guard our appearances and your teeth are like amongst the first thing. So like, the fear of losing teeth is like a very common one. Um, I have it as well, but maybe not that, maybe not to that extent, but, (laughs) um, but like, I think what makes Cronenberg's body horror, the best, and actually in general, I think a lot of the best body horror, it isn't sort of, I mean, again, like when we get the full, the full Brundle fly reveal at the end where he just explodes out of his body. That's fucking incredible. Especially the head popping part is unreal. Um, it's so fucking good. But, like, I think, like, the best body horror stuff are these, like, little things. The mm-hmm. small pieces. Because, like, again, like, I, I think I think the, the overwhelming idea of, like, body horror is, like, it, it isn't just, like, an all-at-once sort of thing. It's sort of, like, you, you know, the viewer kind of, like, having to watch someone fall to pieces. Um, right. To come apart bit by bit is, like, really the fear of it and the grossness of it. Like, if it's... You know, like if it's an alien chestburster thing, like that's one type of body horror. But that to me is way less disgusting than watching someone's nails fall out, their teeth fall out, watching the spines grow out of their body. Like that's much more disgusting.
0: Yeah, it's it really is like it just the realism there. And because it's so real and just kind of speaks to some of our own like things that we have within ourselves that that's the kind of stuff that's like really freaky. Like even when he um broke the guy's hand during the arm wrestling stuff and you just had that little bit of like a uh, bone showing and like when the hand kind of cracks, even that got to me a little bit, I was like, Oh my God, like it just like um it kind of reminds me and we've talked about this before of like when people show like, videos of people getting injured during sports and stuff and some of the shit that happens there it was just kind of like an irky sight to me it's just like oh, like i you know it's a little too real and a little too like visual um you know for me not to react the Mm. way that i did Mm -hmm. so what is your standout story moment in the film
1: i you know like so sort of like the moment that we like we realize it's not just You know, it's not just that like he's been changed physically. Um, You know, it's we're like a few minutes after him doing his gymnastics routine and stuff, which I do have something about that's kind of funny, but um, like the way he tells off Veronica, like how Mm -hmm. aggressively he tells her off, it's like clearly we've made the switch now. Like that that the the Seth Brundle that we met previously is gone, and he even has like this quote that is very. Um, it's about like, you know, what, gosh, something about like diving into the plasma pool. Um, yeah. it's yeah. apparently taken from like some poem and it is one of those, like, it's one of those lines of dialogue, like this whole like sort of, I mean, it's more than one line. It's like several lines. Um, it is one of those, it's taken from something that is like very grandiose that like someone who is, who thinks that they're like, you know, like someone who thinks they're like divine would say this to someone else. And yeah. Yeah. Th- like for me, like that's like the moment where like the whole movie shifts, and you know now like we can't because he's kind of shown his true face. We there is no excusing anything that he does from here on out.
0: Right, I gotcha. Yeah, definitely, dude. Like once you see the, the the real him and stuff like that, it's almost like the, it's almost like the reveal of him actually being the antagonist of the story, like a yeah. protagonist antagonist kind of combination, and that's where everything becomes that's where like the light is shine on like what he truly, truly is and stuff for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good one and everything. Definitely dude. Like I went, my standout moment of the story was one that I totally had forgotten about from the viewing. I saw like 20 some years ago. And that is the, uh, the time when Veronica goes into the the hospital and stuff like that to have this pregnancy issue addressed. And there's like the, 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 big oversized maggot, insect, larva, the, the baby mm-hmm. fly that, that comes out of her. Yep. Like the, um, for starters, like, I will kid you not, because the story was moving so fast, I, I kind of thought that that was real. I was like, okay, so we just jumped into the future a little bit and this is actually going on and stuff. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I thought that maybe this was going to be something that was a part of the story. And then when it was revealed, it was a dream. I was like, oh, that was that's really good. It was almost more powerful and impactful that it was a, a dream and stuff. Oh, for sure. And
1: then for sure. And, and, and by the way, in the second one there, there is like a delivery of a baby.
0: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I almost kind of feel that like that's something that would have happened in the, in the sequel. Like if we didn't yeah. do it in the first one, we got to do it in the second one. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that was so like, was, was such a standout about that is the, This conversation that happens before it, when Ronnie and Stathis are, like, kind of fighting outside of the building, and there's clearly, like, a a great and passionate kind of statement about, like, abortion and everything like that being Mm -hmm. made, and, like, you really see Stathis's kind of evil side come out because he doesn't want to get rid of the baby just yet, which to me like implies that there was some kind of gain for him to get out of it as he yeah. was trying to control the story and everything. And even like the imagery of the two of them and she's in the wheelchair and he's walking beside her and he's telling her that like, Oh, this is like the best thing for you and stuff like that. You know, it's, um, for starters, like just, you know, that what's going on there is just such a, like, we know, like, what's going on there and stuff. And, like, even, like, when you go back even to something as early as, like, the hills have, the hills are like white elephants. Yeah, something like that. The hills are like white elephants. So yeah. Something like that. The, the, the Hemingway story. They even mentioned, like, the phrase or something like it, where it's just like, this is, like, the best available option. So it's this, like, kind of side in the story where, Like, we know Stathis has got, like, some... There's definitely some bad in him. There's some good in him, too, which we we definitely see as we get to the end. Mm -hmm. But, like, this was just this, like, just sheer, like, evil side of him, almost, where, like, he just became the the, the stereotypical, like, controlling man and everything and trying to take away um, any kind of agency that Veronica has over her own body and stuff. And it was... Like, like if, you know, it felt like in line for the character, like, you know, as like when we were getting you know, all the buildup and everything like that, I can see, you know, maybe this guy kind of sort of being like that. But when you actually see him like that, I, I thought it was like very, very impactful. And mm-hmm. like, um, it was a standout moment of the story. And then it, like, also like, you know, when we, when it turns out that like in reality, like kind of like the exact opposite has happened and Veronica takes control of her body wants to, you know, takes him to make her to go get the abortion and stuff. That part um, realigns more with what Veronica's character is, who is, right. is definitely an, a, a 100% a strong female character, not a pushover in any way. So this, right. um, this little like, you know, kind of moment in the movie where she's not being herself He's like this evil version of himself that is just crossed into the threshold of 100% unlikable. Like it's, um, it really sticks out amongst some of the other stuff that we see in the story, just because those two are she's not like herself and he's kind of what we don't want him to be.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, where, yeah, I mean, it's a nightmare. Right. So like, yeah, right. we, we have to have night, nightmares versions of, of, of the people that we're familiar with. So, mm-hmm. of course, Ronnie would be much weaker and status would be significantly the the bad things, the asshole things about status would be overwhelming. Um, right. So it just makes perfect sense. And of course, in a nightmare scenario, David Cronenberg is your gynecologist.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yes, he is. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. I forgot all about that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I keep on forgetting that he acts and stuff. And there was something I saw him in recently where it's just like, oh, shit, David Cronenberg right there like on my television. He's so.
1: It, it's so funny when he pops into stuff because it's just like it, it's not like he can hide who he is. He's is right. so unmistakable. <laughs> like, once you right. know who he is, you're just like, oh, there he is again. <laughs> like, yeah, I, can't miss I David Cronenberg.
0: Yeah, he's got like the hair, he's got that overall like he's he's got to be like a, at least like a taller dude or he like yeah. at least looks lanky and everything like that with him being on um on screen and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I I keep on forgetting that he's a um that he's one of these uh directors that kind of works himself into um into his uh own uh movies and stuff like that. And I'm just like I was going over his um his acting uh credits and I cannot remember what the hell I saw him in recently and it was just it was kind of like oh my god like David Cronenberg is just here in this movie for or show or whatever the hell it is for no reason whatsoever he bored <laughs> Yeah, he's bored. He's just like wanting, <laughs> wanting to get out of the house for a while and uh, and act a, a little bit. And he's, stuff he's like, that. there's a movie
1: shooting in Ontario. I better go be in it, <laughs> right? It might be. Um,
0: I'm seeing here that he was in Star Trek Discovery or something. So I maybe saw a picture from that or maybe his role in mm-hmm. that or something like that recently. And maybe just didn't come up on my television He, he or gets whatever, to
1: be. But... He gets to be ultra creepy in Star Trek Discovery too. It's
0: fantastic.
1: His character's so good. His character's
0: so good. Very, very, very nice, dude. Hell yeah. God, he's in fucking commercials and everything. It just, yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff here. So, all right, dude. So the last standout that we had is what is your standout non Jeff Goldblum character performance? I,
1: I I mean, we, we basically have two choices. So, right. Right. um, So I'm going to go with Gina Davis sort of again, like this is Gina Davis before she was Gina Davis. Um, minimal TV credits, not really a known commodity in 1986. Um, she was on a she was the lead on a show, and this blows my mind uh, that all these people were on the same show at one point in time. She was the lead on a show called Sarah with Alfre Woodard, Bronson Pinchot, and Bill Maher Wow. all in the same show in 1986 um, wow. that only got like 13 episodes. But so. <laughs> The fact that like this is early Gina Davis, but again in a, in a very similar way to going to go ahead and 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 reinvoke another um, another redheaded a lister, um, the same way that um, Julianne Moore in um, to cast a deadly spell was mm-hmm. you know that's amongst her first you know real like credits outside of television, um, outside of like just you know TV roles here and there, like you can see that there is star written on Gina Davis. Like it's it's definitely there, um, yeah. And like it's, but it is interesting seeing like the proto Gina Davis feel her way through this very very very. Could, I mean, this being your first big Hollywood role is this fucking movie, <laughs> like, right. and she does a masterful job of playing Veronica. Like, she does a really great job.
0: Oh yeah, dude. Like I. I completely agree with you on this. I did not know about that show and everything. I keep forgetting that, um, Bill Maher at one point in time was not the guy from real time and politically incorrect. Yep. Um, and God knows I don't really watch him anymore cause he's kind of fallen off the the deep end even more so than he has fallen off the deep end in previous years. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, wow. That's, that's really crazy. And I, I'm opting to go with John gets in this yep. one. I was going to just throw a shout out to whoever, which one, everyone you didn't pick. Yeah, there <laughs> and, you go. um, and, uh, John gets for me was like, like, just, you know, he's always, like, a bad guy kind of um, yes, actor he is. and stuff like that. Kind of like how Keith David is and everything. Yep. So, like, seeing him in some of these movies that I have seen all my life, like, you know, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. So, like, having him show up in this, I thought it was really cool to, like, see that guy as a younger guy. And then also for him to... Like in the movie itself, go from this like you know sleazebag asshole to at least a sleazebag asshole who wants to do the right thing. I thought was a good way to at least have that character end on the highest possible note. And the parts in the movie where his hand gets melted off and then oh yeah he takes his foot off and stuff. Those were just fucking great moments, too, that I could have easily mentioned during my standout body horror, uh, my response to that. Yeah, oh, it's,
1: yeah, it is. John Getz just has a look that says smarmy. His voice even sounds smarmy. Like, he was tailor-made to be kind of a smarmy asshole in movies and TV shows, and he really very frequently is. Um, But he was great in this. The, yeah, the, the final scene where he gets his foot and hand melted, just fucking fantastic. That's yeah, so good.
0: Hell yeah, dude! Like, what a what a fucking just what a personality that we've been watching for like all of our lives, basically. And it's just it's just kind of cool to see those people in more stuff or stuff you didn't expect them to be in, kind of things, you know. So, um, yeah. So let's move into oh, the real, re- real quick,
1: oh. real quick. Um, I'll give it to the guy that he arm wrestles. That's a uh, former Canadian heavyweight champion, I think it's George. Oh, I should have left this up here. Hold on, let me let me pull it up real quick. It won't be hard to find it. There's only six people in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, George uh, Chuvalo, uh plays Marky, the guy that he, that he arm wrestles. And he's like an all-time Canadian heavyweight boxer, an all-time Canadian athlete. Um, apparently, he was never knocked out or knocked down and really this is a guy that fought Frazier, fought ali fought take your pick of all the big name fighters that he fought he was never knocked down never knocked
0: out no shit so if he would have lost to ali it would have been like decision uh, decisions or whatever. Yeah. On, the, on the points and everything yep. like that do you know does it say like how much you're looking if he's had any major like victories like he just won on george foreman one time oh or he was like
1: that i i I, be, I gotta find it real quickly um here I'm, I'm pulling up his bio here. I, I believe he was like the heavyweight champion of the world at one point in time, but um, uh, no, failed in two attempts to, to win heavyweight champion of the world. Okay. Um, yeah. But here's, <laughs> this is my favorite part of this. George uh, turned pro in 1956 at the age of 18 and knocked out four men in one night to capture the Jack Dempsey novice heavyweight tournament title.
0: Jesus Christ, dude. Four dudes in a night? So, like, a tournament-style
1: boxing (laughs) endurance kind of thing that I can guarantee you is not legal to do anymore. Um,
0: Yeah. You you can't, (laughs) like, have people fight that often. Oh, my God, dude. Like, I'm just – something like that today – Dude, I just like the way some of these fighters look after one fight. Can you imagine going and having to do three more of those? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you're at a serious disadvantage by the time you get into your second fight. You know, so mm-hmm. whoo, God, man, like just the way that they used to do shit back in the day. Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh my God, man, like wow, that's a yep. uh, that's pretty intense there. So, wow, good to know that very good piece. I had of, I had to bring that up because
1: I just thought that's one of those things. You know, that's like when you when you see that like a little bit of trivia. That's when you know, like, oh, so Cronenberg's a boxing fan. Why else yeah. would you, if you picked George uh, chuvalo
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, definitely, dude, definitely. Yeah, good good piece of trivia right there for sure. And we'll use that to segue into the last section here, which is about the remake. So we're not going to do the the full remake, mm. um, you know, kind of like pitches and stuff like that like we have been doing. Just a couple of quick questions here to round us out. So, um, you know, with all the remakes and reboots that are happening today, in your opinion, why do you think The Fly has not received the the remake treatment?
1: I I want you to jump on this one first cuz I'm I am you have no idea how curious I am okay. about like what okay. cuz I came to I had like a few conclusions here, but like I'm really curious. I want to hear what you
0: have to say. Okay. So, I'll start off with by saying that me personally, and you may have a different experience, but like in my regular like online kind of, you know, scrolling and all that stuff, I don't really see anybody calling to remake this movie at all. Like I I don't see any like evidence Mm -hmm. of like a public demand to have this movie remade. And like it's crazy because when I go online and I guarantee like when I scroll through Twitter even after we wrap up with today's episode, I'm going to see somebody out there like – Doing a like, hey, somebody should play this, somebody should do that. Like, one of these kind of entertainment hot takes that flood our social media the same way that sports hot takes do, which, mm-hmm. man, like, that's pretty much all the entertainment, sports entertainment industry is, is hot takes and everything. So, I don't see any overwhelming like public demand to have this movie remade. Then, to supplement that, um, In all of our discussions, even in me writing for NerdBot, me just before having discussions about the entertainment industry, I've never even seen any inclination that... Hollywood wants to have this movie remade like there was I've never heard anybody like, hey, we're kicking around the fly reboot and stuff kind of like the same way with that. The the Stephen King's it remake like Mm -hmm. it seems like they were kicking this around either via people's discussions or in the actual offices of the studios. It seems like this idea was getting floated around for a long time. I'm not getting anything like that with the fly. So I don't see any public demand to have the the movie remade. I'm not seeing anything in the studios about this movie being remade. So, which will take me to my next point then is like, I, without getting into what I'm going to talk about for the, the last question, I like, I'm having a hard time imagining what a modern version of this movie would look like without taking away basically everything that the movie is about. And I'll Mm -hmm. get into some of the specifics Mm -hmm. and everything like that when we get to the last question here, but it's really hard for me to imagine like modern audiences getting excited to go to the movies, to watch a guy transform into a fly. And yes, it's just my, Like it's just this thing I I feel I don't have any scientific data, polling anything like that to back it off. It's just back it up. It's just a gut instinct that I have that um, out there. Like just the idea of somebody turning into a fly. The general premise. I think audiences may have moved beyond something like that.
1: So, yes, you are hitting on a bun. You're hitting on one thing in particular that I sort of honed in on and I'll I'll, okay. I'll get to that I'll I'll finish out with that because I, because yes like we, we have at least we have one thought here that is very similar and also you bring up some really good points about like this this isn't one of those movies that it has hung around the zeitgeist as like man when are they going to redo this like when, when are we going right. to get a new version of this like we you know, we when we did our movie pitches, and I, I mentioned that um, the Highlander was like an odd sort of piece of inspiration for my for my movie. The Highlander is one of those is one of those that has stuck around um, mm-hmm. long enough that they are actually like now like there. I feel like there is some casting news in that, like so, it, like that's one of the ones that has stuck around with the zeitgeist because it has such a like because it has such a cult following in the eighties. That, like, those people have kind of propelled it to keep it alive. Obviously, they made it into a TV show. There are sequels and everything else. It's one of those ones that has managed to stay alive in the zeitgeist. After this movie, there's a sequel that no one fucking cared about, and you don't need to see. There was talk of a TV show, I believe. And otherwise, like, there's just been the various, like, hey, someone's attached to potentially remake the... And, like, that's as far as it ever gets. It's not even... It's not even, like, stuck in development hell. It's just casual conversation. Right, right. Um, So you're right. Like, they're just, this isn't one, this isn't, this isn't, the fly is not, like, the thing. Or the fly is not, like, um, you know, like, what are we going to get, like, now that we're, it sounds like we're going to end Halloween, the Halloween franchise for at least a little bit. We know that (laughs) in 10 years, they're going to be like, all right, so, like, when are we going to reboot Halloween?
0: Yeah, oh god, yeah. We'll be talking about that in five. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> The Fly just is not one of those movies. And I think I think it's because I here's where here's where you're getting into sort of what I was thinking about. The the sort of this idea, this story and sort of what happens to Seth Brundle feels almost too simplistic and a little bit too antiquated to be relevant with modern audiences. Like yeah. Yeah, like everyone knows, you know, obviously the death and, you know, the dying sort of thing is maybe something that we don't see quite as frequently in our horror movies. Um, More, you know, we actually, I mean, I say that, but, but, you know, you can think about most recently uh, the movie Old is a movie about dying Um, in increasingly terrible ways. You know, be it old age, be it blind, you know, you know, like we should say it's all old age, but like the way that old age kills people. Right. Like the various ways. That's what old is about. Um, So like that does exist now, but like it's not something that gets picked up a lot. So, I mean, there's a little bit of room there, but I think like the idea of someone just sort of very in a very straightforward manner transforming is just something that is like like been there, done that. We need more than than just that. And I and I even think and I even think the pseudoscience is a little bit outdated right mm-hmm. like the teleportation thing it's cool believe me i love teleportation it's fucking great but how it, it is so we're so used to seeing it now in various forms in the superhero movies in star trek um like we to the point where like some of the stuff that they were talking about in this movie um in terms of like how like the genetic stuff you know the computer can't figure out the genetic sequence there there is an idea a theory about that now like if you were to be able to build a transporter or a teleporter whatever you want to call it that sure it would teleport things but what it's actually doing is taking your genetic information and copying it over and over and over again that's right. actually what you've created a, a copying mach- a genetic copying machine all um, right so like the fact that that sort of information exists in 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 you know the academic circles but also like the sort of the Um, you know, the pop culture circles kind of makes it feel like the pseudoscience is even outdated. Sort of like if I were now to tell you about like the positronic brain, like that's a term from like the 1950s -hmm. tractor beams, Um, those things like uh, telepod is now right there with something that is just outdated.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, you get more, you do get more complicated science in the subplots of superhero movies and stuff. Like you get more complicated science in a, general discussion in a superhero movie that never comes back. It's just like, Hey, this guy's a scientist, you know? Yeah. So you're right. Like the, um, the pseudoscience element, like a long time ago would have probably been cool. And something like me. I still think, I still wish I could teleport. My God, my life would be so much easier, but like, um, the, the way like an audience has perceived something, it is just like a little basic. It's like these concepts that, like you said, the tractor beam and stuff, like it's just kind of like a outdated idea because it's been done like so many goddamn Mm -hmm. times. And even even, like when you look at um, some of the more earlier, like Star Trek movies and things that are set in space, they're never locked into a tractor beam. They're locked into like, the ship's gravity or something like that. You know, it's almost like they've taken the idea of the tractor beam and kind of um, jazzed it up a little bit and maybe made it based in some kind of grounded in, in some kind of reality to the point where things that would, where things, situations where a tractor beam would normally come into play are replaced with more realistic and and is based in science kind of principles and stuff like that. Like something being locked in a ship or a large object's gravity.
1: Yeah. I here's you're right. You're absolutely right. Here's how I think about it. Um, at one point in time, an Android in a, you know, the idea of an Android being in a movie, being a character in a movie would have been real novel. Are you even remotely surprised when a character is not a human being in a science fiction movie or a superhero movie?
0: Oh, I almost think it's part of the territory. Like, like you, you have, have to have, have one. one now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but in, in Alien, uh, 73, that, um, 79, 79, sorry, 79, yeah. Alien 79, the, re- that's a reveal that the guy is, the, that's ashes a major of, yeah. plot point that ashes a, an Android and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Like that is like a, a huge colossal twist in some way, shape or form, you know? So like, um, the, uh, and while today it just like it kind of comes with the territory. Like, are you mean to tell me that I am going to watch a Star Wars movie and there not be a badass robot android somebody being right. like this? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying here for sure. So let's um let's go to the next question just really quick. If you were to direct this remake, who do you think would be the director that would hire you'd hire on to do the remake?
1: Uh, d- easy, uh, Julia DeCorno is body horror, modern body horror. Um, yeah, she can. Uh, it it wouldn't even be it it would be one of those things like here's the money here's you know here's an endless check here's an endless well of money do what whatever you think would be best for this i trust Mm -hmm.
0: you yeah i totally got you what you're saying here i went with cronenberg's son i almost think that brandon's Brandon's a good director this might be the only guy in the world that uh you know could do this if there's if this is one of those projects that mm-hmm. um, is so David Cronenberg, who the hell did better to take it over than his own kid and stuff?
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely. <laughs> he would he would be number two on the list. That, seriously, Brandon Cronenberg is actually a pretty good director. Um, and I highly, highly recommend Possessor. He's, nice. He's got that. I mean, it's got some good body horror elements to it. But like he definitely treads m- much more into psychological horror than, uh, nice. than his dad
0: does. Oh yeah. Very nice. That's, yeah, that's early. That's from last year, 2020 or two years ago, 2020. Yep. Fuck yeah. Very nice dude. Hell yeah. Got two shorts and like, sorry, three shorts and like two features. Nice. Mm-hmm. we got some things to uh, check out here. So, all right. And then uh, the last question is, is um, what um, is one element from the 1986 fly that you feel would be different in a modern version of the fly?
1: So I, I am, I'm very glad that we got to this part because th- Again, this kind of goes back to my idea of like this, not the the sort of the pseudoscience and the storytelling being a little bit too straightforward and too simplistic for mature audiences or for modern audiences, excuse me, Um, that this would have been, we wouldn't have a mad scientist, we would have someone, um, you know, someone like in the beauty industry or someone who's a model, someone who's like whole, um, whole reason for being is their beauty, and it would be more of a I so like while I think the while I think the idea of like a mad scientist being turned into a creature by his own experiment that's straightforward. I think the metaphor would the metaphor would be more really? straightforward in a modern in a modern setting. That it would be someone in the beauty industry being transformed by something by a beauty product, basically. Yeah. Um and it certainly would be much I hate fucking using the term, but I'm gonna go for it because I can't think of how else to describe it. It'd be so much more woke um then 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 anything that would have been made in the 1980s that's that's you know like there would be a more woke feeling to it and like the lesson would be a little bit more obvious
0: yeah oh yeah dude i i agree with you on that all the way um this idea idea of it being somebody who is in the beauty industry yeah 100% and with all the instagram influencers mm-hmm. and models and things like that out there and particularly the uh world's um, obsession with beauty and what beauty is, this is definitely the angle that they would go um, in this story for fucking sure. I, I wouldn't, like, I will the, say, the we, element too. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I will say real quickly, the, the only other thought that I had, and I'm not really sure how you'd get to it since, uh, since abortion kind of became a real thing in, in, you know, in the middle of this movie um, that in a modern setting you could also see it as like the fly being perhaps being, um, something that a woman is forced to deal with because yeah. she can't abort it.
0: Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could totally see that for sure, dude. Definitely. Like that really makes a lot of sense and fits into um, a statement about abortion. And it would even fit more so into a in today's world because of the current mm-hmm. kind of political uh state of the abortion debate and everything like that yeah definitely dude i have two very very simple things here um i think that uh we are number one there would be a higher body count in some way shape or form there would be bodies dropping all over the place like i don't think that this movie gets made without at least five people dying in in a remake and um the other one that i this is like one that i I feel in my soul would exist because just the way the modern audiences are, I think we would have more than one fly monster. I almost feel Ooh, that if this yeah. were to be a modern movie, there would be, and let's just, you know, use the, the beauty example. There'd be two models, one, in her in her inner self is absolutely evil the other one is good they both kind of get involved in this uh, experiment or something gone awry whatever they're doing not makeup testing beauty product testing that goes awry and you would have the evil one completely like embracing the power to the fullest fullest side of the spectrum, killing people, loving it, being bad, loving it and stuff. And then you'd have another one like who isn't necessarily like that, or maybe is struggling to be bad and stuff, struggling to, you know, commit the, the, the crimes that they need to commit to stay alive, some shit like that. And in the end, the two of them would face off. Like, I just don't think that with CGI, with any, with the, like the, the modern audiences, attention spans, the the you know the showy the glitz and glam the spectacle of it i think we're we're looking at two monsters minimum maybe even more there might be a guy who decides to use it on himself because he wants to be worse than the person who's the worst of the two flies so something something like that yeah. more more bodies more monsters
1: i for sure the body count thing i mean no one gets killed in this movie until brundle gets killed Right, but, exactly. like, and and like, it's sort of like, like, of course, you have to kill him, like it, and you could even make the argument he already died previous to that point in time. So, right, um, so like, you know, the body count is essentially one, or you could even argue none is the body count in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. but in you know, if this movie gets made in twenty twenty three, it's it, it it's a lot. Like, it's at least yeah. four or five. Um, the, the sequel I think had like four or five people die, so it's at least that many, probably okay. more. Um, and I think you're right too. Like, let's get more monsters in here. Like, let's have two of them. And I, the thing is like the, the way that like, we're both talking through like what, you know, what what would change like in a modern setting? I don't think any of those changes are for the better at all.
0: No. Yeah, absolutely not. Cause it's all like, it's all spectacle-y kind of stuff. It's, it won't really serve the, I mean, I'm sure it'll serve the story in some way, shape Mm -hmm. or form, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the characters, which is like the character part of it is a major driving force of this particular movie. This isn't a situational movie. This isn't a plot driven movie. This is a character driven movie. One hundred percent that just yeah. happens to like, you know, when people say like yeah, there's this um, guy named like C Robert Cargill, he's behind um, Sinister and the the black phone and everything like that. He's also a he wrote, very, he very wrote a Marvel, didn't he? He um, did work on the first Doctor Strange movie. That's what I like, yeah. When it comes to the credits and everything, I don't necessarily know if he has the screenplay credit, but he was involved in that yeah. in some way shape or form they mm-hmm. could easily be the main guy but they maybe didn't give him the actual screenplay credit kind of thing yes could um, have been a story by
1: or something right
0: s- something like that yeah so like you know he is very active on twitter every um Hol- october in the, the fright fest spooky season he posts this kind of like 10 rules to like writing a horror movie and the first one is it's all about the characters right yeah and um now like there are times when I hear something is all about the characters and I'm like, okay, like, you know, th- clearly this movie wasn't all about the characters and stuff. Or clearly this, you know, like slasher movie, like there are characters in it, whether it's all about them is, is kind of up for debate mean, we get to know sure. them and then they die. But like this is one of those movies where like when I see the, it's all about the characters. Like, yeah, this one definitely is all about mm-hmm. the, the the characters and stuff and the situation and everything is awesome. But like the situation would be nothing without the, the characters from this particular story.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. This is like, like I said, like this is, and again, I think that's, um, that's sort of the, the advantage to such a small cast is that like, you get to you get to ride the strengths of all these actors to right. to the finish line if you will like we we get we get both you know we get you know two different versions of Jeff Goldblum we mm-hmm. we get that nice injection of smarmy John Getz and then we get Veronica you know we get Gina Davis being sort of the rock realist, realistically the rock in between both of them
0: this whole movie yeah, yeah, exactly, dude, exactly. So, yeah, this is all about the fucking characters, and um, that brings us to the end of our conversation here today. Fucking really great, uh, little episode that we did here about the review of the fly. So good. Um, did, did you have anything else to uh, to add, or you could take us on out of here, whichever?
1: It's this is just such a it's such a good movie. Um, even though I kind of ranked it lower in my Cronenberg's, if you will, that's just because like I have, I Cron- Cronenberg movies are amongst my favorites. So like. Mm-hmm. This still would rank way ahead of a lot of other horror movies, ahead of a lot of other, um, especially specifically body body horror movies. Um, This ranks way above those. Um, Is it perfect? Like, if we were to do a cinema section on this, I don't think this is a perfect movie, but this is a very close shot. Like, this is pretty close. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it gets as close to being perfect without actually being perfect as a movie could get by the cinema dissection standards for sure. Exactly.
1: There are definitely things that could be improved, a few things you could change, whatever, but they're pretty minimal. Um, Great movie. Go out and watch it. Go out and watch it. There is no excuse. It's spooky season. It's Fright Fest. It's Halloween. There is no reason you shouldn't have David Cronenberg movies on just all the time.
0: Right. And if you're doing one of these like 31 movies in 31 days like Hulu is advertising you <clears> to do, switch over to HBO Max and check this one out. You'll, yep. I guarantee you there's some forgettable stuff that Hulu has to offer that you don't even have to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, do you have any final thoughts? I do not. I'm looking forward to the next one where we're going to be doing the Lost Boys. So everybody, stay with us, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week on that for sure.
1: Yeah, I I do like how we're we've now extended '80s month for, for yeah, it's two months <laughs> long, and it's totally fine. I think this was actually something that I was really thinking about that I really think that they cracked the code in the '80s on several types of movies in mm-hmm. in particular horror movies and action movies. They cracked the code on because yeah. Obviously, special effects and things have gotten better to allow us to allow certain things, you know, to happen that just couldn't have happened in the 80s, you know, that happen now in movies. But we're still sort of using those special effects to mimic things that we already were doing in the 1980s.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, they're just basically taking – when it comes to concepts, when it comes to execution – they've just taken things from the 1980s and just expanded upon them in, in so many different ways. Now, whether they got that right, that is definitely subjective and completely up for debate, depending sure. on whichever movie you're watching. But when it comes down to just like consistently, uh, consistency in terms of good action and just really out there, but fucking awesome stories like the 1980s, was. that's where it's at.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So next week we'll be taking on The Lost Boys. Very excited to to revisit this movie. Um, This is one I haven't seen in a while, and it's going to be fun. Uh, So until next time, you can download us, stream us, check us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, We're on Facebook. We're on Google Play. I'm sure there's probably a service I signed us up for that I forgot about um, (laughs) that that probably hasn't been updating or something terrible, but whatever. Um, We're on all the... where If you get podcasts somewhere, we're probably on that platform. Uh, You can find us there. Uh, And for Adam Chemielewski, this is Matt Pagel saying...